Michelle Live podcast. My, 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 my Michelle Live. Yeah, here we are. It's news and views Thursday. You've reached the My Michelle Live family of podcast today. I'm asking the question: Do we even have a prayer? When in need, don't be ashamed to pray. That's what the Pope said. Yep, in an address from the Vatican, the Pope said praying to God in times of joy and sorrow is a natural human thing to do because it connects men and women to their Father in Heaven. But this is what Michelle asks, in this crazy year, in these modern times, with the world seemingly falling apart around us, do we really have a prayer? Check this out. In March, the Pew Research Center reported in a survey, 55, the majority of us in the U.S., said we started praying for an end of this to the spread of the coronavirus. That's a majority of us praying. And many of those, they say, had never really given prayer the time of day before. On these podcasts, we look for the God story. If there's a God, can we see evidence of him? Um, can we connect with him? What does he ask of us? That's what we do in our podcast, but today we're looking for the prayer story. So check this out. A clinical study started in May of this year, of 2020. It considered the power of prayer to combat Corona, the COVID-19 virus. A cardiologist in Kansas City from the Heart Rhythm Institute is the principal investigator in this clinical trial. Here's what they're doing. They're taking a thousand patients with COVID-19. These patients have infections so severe that they require intensive care. Seriously, this is a clinical trial on can prayer help these people. Now, it was a four-month trial, and the results are in. They haven't published the results yet, but we have made a call to the Institute, and as soon as we do get the results, we'll let you know what they are. But think about it. They're doing a clinical trial on prayer because it seems like everything else is falling through. We're putting our hope in a vaccine. Will it work? We're seeing a lot of problems with people having serious reactions to these vaccines, but we don't care because we need hope because we don't feel we can turn to anything else. Can we turn to prayer in addition to the other answers that we're seeking? So entanglement explains scientifically how our prayers might work. But there's a whole aspect of faith and prayer that can't be explained through science. People travel all over the world to holy sites to receive energy or faith healing. Is it their unshakable belief in God's power and therefore the placebo effect that is responsible for the healing? Or is there an actual divine energy that is causing their transformation? Either way, I'm fascinated by the mystical. And if faith healing works for people, why not respect the possibility and keep an open mind? Okay, CNN. CNN started tossing around the idea of prayer back in June. 
They were investigating the psychological benefits of prayer. They say some who seldom or never pray, I don't know, where are you on that? on that scale. I I pray, I try to pray every day, but there are some who seldom or never pray. And people who didn't belong to any religion, they've started praying during this pandemic. Here's what CNN reported. They said, but almost by definition, prayer as an operationalized as operationalized in these studies, invokes involvement of God or a higher being, something outside the boundaries of natural phenomenon. And that's hard to study, they say. But here's what you can do. Just like our friends in Kansas City doing that clinical trial on prayer, you may not be able to study prayer or or sit down and do a study of God, it's it, it may be not something you can put your thumb on, but you can study the outcomes of the belief in God and in prayer. Previous studies have associated prayer with a sense of calmness, peace, encouragement, social and emotional support, They say prayer, you can study the effects of prayer because it can foster a sense of connection. But get this, a 2011 study found that prayer can help reduce anger and aggression. They did a series of experiments. Participants either prayed for or thought about a stranger a person maybe who angered them, or maybe they thought of a friend in need. Uh, Members of the group were more likely to feel less anger and aggression after prayer. That's pretty cool. And if you're married and your marriage is suffering from COVID-19, from lockdowns and too much togetherness. Another study found that when dating or married people prayed for one another, they tended to be less aggressive and more inclined to forgive. In 2009, a study on the effects of prayer on depression and anxiety found that members of a group had lower rates of depression and anxiety and were more optimistic after sessions if they prayed for one another compared to the control group, which had no prayer at all. This is just skimming the surface. Prayer really has an effect. Now, as you're listening and you're saying, oh, okay, I'm curious about this God story. I don't know where you are on your God walk or if you believe or if you don't believe, but if you have a belief in the outcomes of science, you can see that it makes a difference. And you may think, well, they're just throwing prayer up into heaven and it just makes them feel better. Maybe, maybe. But today, on News and Views Thursday, as the news tends to be crumbling all around us and bringing the worst of stories at times. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. And there are a lot of good news stories. We just don't 
hear most of them. We hear a lot of fear about the coronavirus. We don't always hear that 99.96% of those who get the virus recover. We hear the worst of the worst. And it's affecting all of us. So what do we do? Do we have a prayer? I remember that night turning off everything and just kneeling down on my knees and praying. So my prayer went something like this. Okay, God, I need to know that you exist. I started praying for the help I needed to stop my addictions. And basically just poured my heart out and told, told God that I, I, really, I really needed his help. When I got up, I did not have any feeling but of love. Love, joy, and peace. This feeling of calm. It's kind of like relief. It was like this lightning bolt just hit my heart. And then I started to see all those miracles that were in my life. I was able to see that God had been there the whole time. And then I knew at that moment there was a God, and this is how he was answering my prayers. I feel like I'm still getting to know God, and I'm still getting to know what he wants me to do. But what an amazing blessing it is to have a strong connection with God through prayer that can actually guide me. From ComeUntoChrist.com table today on our program, the Pope said, hey, it's very human to pray. Don't be ashamed. Pew Research showing that a majority of Americans started praying during the coronavirus spread. We've talked about some of the big stories in prayer, but now we are going to take prayer off the wall. It's off the wall commentary. Let's take it off the wall. Yeah, let's. Mark Griswold joins us today for our off-the-wall commentary as we take on prayer. And the question, Mark, today is, do we have a prayer? Well, keeping with the -the off-the-wall theme, uh, the Jews sure know all about prayer. They kneel in front of that wailing wall, that western wall, on a regular basis, so... They certainly know about that wall. Oh, I have a news story on that, by the way. A really cool one. Uh, Yeah, there's going to be a worldwide Christian prayer session for Israel. It's set to go live December uh, 10th through 19th. And those who wish to send prayers for Israel themselves or their loved ones will be able to do so. And uh, then their prayers Hmm. will be placed in the cracks in the western wailing wall of the old city so all over the place people are saying yeah we've got a prayer but prayer can also be uh, another word for people for hope if you don't have a prayer you just don't have hope is god a last resort do we have a prayer what are your thoughts Yes, indeed. And he really shouldn't be the last resort, uh, you know, when all else fails, pray. <laughs> but really, that should be the first thing we go to. And you you look around you, you, you see these stories. I was looking up uh, people that have fallen from airplanes and survived. 
Vesna Vulovic of uh, Yugoslavia fell from a plane. She was a stewardess in 1972, 33,000 feet. She survived, and, uh, you know, she was in a coma. She broke quite a few bones, but made a full recovery. She was able to walk and everything. And, you know, I have had friends that have survived stage four cancer. I know people that have attempted suicide, and God has seen fit to spare their life. Uh, And it's almost always... Uh, or it should be for a bigger purpose when God does that. Uh, you know, uh, Vesna Vulovic, she went on to protest against Slobodan Milosevic, that horrible dictator in Yugoslavia in the 90s. And, you know, uh, my uh, one of my friends who uh, came close to committing suicide turned around and wrote a book on suicide and helps other people uh, come out of it. So, Really, uh, I, I think about one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Romans 5.4, uh, and that's Paul telling us that we should rejoice in our sufferings because those sufferings bring perseverance, and that perseverance builds character, and that character leads to that hope that we all need. So that's, that's our prayer, and really that's part of the problem. We all have everything we want here in America, but very little or nothing of what we need. We all want that Ooh. brand new car, but at the end of the day, is it really that brand new car that we want? We're looking for maybe anesthetizing. Even though we have everything in our in our grasps, it would seem, and before COVID hit, Mark, it seemed like we our society was at its zenith. We could get whatever we want at the touch of a button and usually the same day. We had everything that we could possibly need. If we didn't like something about ourselves, our body, our lives, we can go out and just get it changed, get something new. But it isn't really what we need. It has been a distraction. And many of the things we've been searching for have been an anesthetizing factor, something to help us feel better, to soothe our our hurt, because I think we ache for what we really need. And I think we can find that in our connection with something greater, and that's God. Prayer. Amen. And, you know, prayer is not for God. God has existed for all time. He exists in all time. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. He knows what we were going to say, what we're going to say since the beginning of time. So prayer is more for us than for God. It focuses our mind. And this might be a little controversial, but I've recently come to the realization uh, in reading uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson that everything out there, all knowledge in the world, all wisdom is actually already inside us. And by studying books and listening to people and praying, we're just discovering that what, what is already within us, that Holy Spirit that God planted inside of us when he created our souls. Uh, and prayer helps us to discover that. You know, one of the uh, sayings about knowledge is, oh, I gained some insight. Well, when you think about that word, insight, I looked within myself. It was already there. And I think, you know, talking about COVID and all these other things going on, you're right. We know that we're messed up, that we're suffering, and that we need uh, to get out and lead a better life, and that all this other stuff, the Amazon packages coming 
the very same day we order them is all fake. And, and I actually don't think it's a coincidence that COVID is so bad because, and this is going to be controversial. I think COVID <laughs> to a large extent in our population is, is psychosomatic. I, I think everybody is so afraid of it. And when you look at the statistics, for the vast majority of us, we have a better chance of dying in a car accident. And we all get in our cars almost every day and don't worry about that. We don't pray about that. Uh, so I think we've brought this on ourselves. You know, you look at things like peanut allergies, which, you know, back when I was a kid, that wasn't a thing. Nobody had peanut allergies. I mean, maybe a few people. And now it's almost trendy for your kids to have peanut allergies. <laughs> I think we've brought these things. We've brought these things on ourselves because we don't suffer anymore. But we do. We actually suffer well, there, in a, a, a more a deeper a big, way. Our souls true is truth in that uh we have you you say it might be psychosomatic or some might say self-fulfilling prophecies sometimes i it, in peanut allergies i think it's the choices that we make the adjuvant in our uh, in our vaccines that are are made from peanut oil and then suddenly we're putting them in our system and we're causing uh, crazy allergic reactions what we're not exposing ourselves to because we like to isolate ourselves to protect ourselves. But you know what? Life isn't be about being protected all the time. You cannot protect yourself always. You're going to die if you're sitting uh, alone on your couch in the living room for the rest of your life. You're going to die if you're out there, as we've talked about in the past off the wall commentary, if you're out living life to, to its fullest. The difference is being able to have something greater that you can trust in, that there is a purpose and a plan for my life, that God knows what he's doing. He knows the plans he has for me to prosper me and not to fail me, to give me a hope, to give me a future. And I guess we could say in the overall theme of the program today, to give us a prayer. I'll let you have the final word. Right. And, you know, uh, his, his plans for us to prosper. Maybe his definition of prosper is different than our definition of prosper. When I went on a mission trip to India a number of years back, I was amazed by how happy, and we went to the, one of the poorest areas of, of India, and I was amazed by how happy these people were. And I thought to myself, you know, we here in the first world, in the wealthiest country on earth, we look upon Africa and India and places like that with sorrow and regret and what can we do to help them, those poor people. Well, I think if they knew the truth of us, truth of it they'd be looking back on us and so really our prayer our you know our souls are crying out lord uh please tell us what it is to suffer so that we may know the meaning of your grace we need to be praying for a salvation that's not trivial and temporary but that's real and eternal and such a good time to do it as the world seems to be falling apart. Maybe it's a time for us to fall on our knees. We'll be talking more about prayer. If we have a prayer today, thank you, Mark Griswold. You can find Mark at thepoliticalbistro.com. Thanks for being with us, Mark. Thanks so much. It's Off the Wall Commentary. Let's take it off the wall. A 
As the world looks bleak, we are looking for answers. And I'm asking the deeper story as we look for the God story. Do we have a prayer? Do we even have a prayer? I can thank you for how strong I have become. I hope you find your peace falling on your knees. Praying. That song was by Keisha. Bruce Hartman was on our program yesterday. You might want to listen to our Health Watch Wednesday as we look at the health of the nation and our overall health during COVID and Christmas. But taking it another step further, a little bit deeper, if we're looking for the God story, can we find it? And do we have a prayer? And how do you pray anyway? Bruce Hartman is the author of a book that can kind of walk us through. It's Spend a Year with Jesus, an inspirational journey of finding Jesus and faith. Yes, and, and that's the, in this time where we're being talked at so much, we're not being talked with. And so all of my books, and particularly in this time, I think it's, I think one of the great things people can do this Christmas, spend more time in prayer with Jesus, asking Jesus to be with them. And what people will find is some surprising answers will come out of that effort. Prayer is, well, it's one of those things that we don't always really understand a lot. Sometimes we have a hard time praying. You pray and your mind wanders somewhere else. Uh, having an understanding of, of the importance of prayer and does prayer really work? Sometimes, honestly, it feels that prayer is just being thrown up there and you're hoping that it's heard. And even for those who know that you know that you know that prayer works and and God hears and answers prayer, it still can feel that way. Yes. And I think a lot of people, when they pray, put rules around prayer. Um, and I think if you if you treat prayer more as a relationship with Jesus, as opposed to what are the rules, what am I supposed to say? Did I say the same? Did I say the right thing? Am I am I praying deeply enough? And one of the things you talked about is we all tend to drift off in our prayers because our mind takes us there, and we got to bring ourselves back. So that's that's part number one is that this is this is a conversation with the divine, and the rules are they're actually fairly light. Number one, when you finish praying, always say, I pray in Jesus' name. Um, always remember to be thankful if there's something to be thankful for, because you can't have a relationship with somebody if you're only asking and never thanking. And the second thing, which is where I think people most of the time miss the value of prayer, is observing the answer that you get back. Um, and the answer is always going to be what we need, not what we want. And I think that okay. could be a, a breakdown to what people think. That's prayer. interesting. And I think back in, in prayer to when I was a little girl and there was an Indian man uh, that Matthew Stevens, I, j- his name just came to me. And boy, could that man pray. And when the pastor would ask him to pray, you knew that you would have to get comfortable because it was going to be a little while. And he would talk about <laughs> the flowing rivers and the eagles that glided over them that reminded us of God's strength. God, And it would go on for 
it, almost an eternity. Okay, when you're a little girl, it was quite an eternity. Those kind of prayers are the people who know how to pray. You know, it's like they went to prayer school and in Jesus name, your word says this. And then there's other people who just don't know what to do. And then boom, you just nailed it right there. Sometimes it's just saying, thank you. How do I talk to the people around me? I'm not always flowery speech girl. Sometimes it's just a, Hey, I just want to let you know, I appreciate you, Bruce, for coming on and sharing your thoughts with me today. Boom. (laughs) That's that's what builds strong relationships. And uh, there's a wonderful movie. It's called it's a wonderful life. Um, And it's, it's, and, and and there's there's an interesting aspect in that movie about prayer, you know, where George Bailey, you know, finally gives in and prays to God, and then as soon as he right after he prays to God, he gets punched in the mouth. Dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me. Watch somebody take you home, huh? Boy, you drink so much, my friend. Please go home, Mr. Bailey. This is Christmas Eve. Bailey? This Mr. George Bailey. The next time you talk to my wife like that, you'll get worse. I don't know if you remember that scene. Yes. <laughs> and he looks and he says, is that what you have? But that, but that is how God responds. He doesn't give us exactly what we want. He gives us what we need to understand what it is that we need to go forward with. And if you, for instance, I had a person say to me, I wanted to be more godlike in terms of my giving. So he said, the answer I got was I got more requests for donations. And I said, <laughs> that's, that's typical of God that he's testing you to see if you're sincere about this. And, but it's also what you need to know, not as opposed to what you want. You can't be God-like unless you imitate Jesus. Well, as we sort through the news today, it seems like we just don't have a prayer, right? But that's what we're taking on today. What is prayer? How can we pray? Do we really have a prayer? And is prayer really all that effective anyway? Is it just, is it like therapy? Is it cathartic? You can meditate, you can pray, send happy thoughts, uh, eat chocolate, all the same thing, right? Well, let's look through the books of history, the stories of the past, and let's see if Prayer has really had any kind of impact. It's time to twitch. This week in Christian history. It's time to twitch. Yes. Twitching with us, taking us through this week in Christian history from Christian History Magazine, magazine that is coffee table worthy, full of beautiful pictures, great historical insights, 
beautifully written stories and a great resource for parents who are stuck home with their kids and trying to get them educated. Michael Austin, hey, thanks for joining us, my friend. Michelle, so good to be with you. Here we are in a crazy time, and we are asking that question, do we even have a prayer? And you say, oh, yeah, and you've seen it through stories of the past. Is there any doubt? <laughs> prayer works. It, prayer still works, as they say in the Christian History magazine. There are so many wonderful uh, accounts. Um, the, the accounts that I love to read are the ones in the Bible. So, <laughs> Right? <laughs> you just take us anywhere. <laughs> let's, let's just see where prayer works. Heroes of the faith, and that's, that's a theme of the Torchlighter series, which is also published by the folks, the Ministry Christian History Institute. The series is, is done for children, animation, and so many of them are great examples of prayer. <clears throat> I think we all accept the notion of teaching our children how to pray. You know, Jesus um, told his disciples, don't disallow the children to come to me. So from the aspect of history, getting right to the source, Jesus himself setting the example of, come on, come to me, hang out with me. That's really what prayer is. Tell us. A paraphrasing, he basically said to them, this, this is what you're going to be like when you're in heaven. You, there's something important to learn from children. And then he prayed for them. And he prayed, he taught his disciples how to pray. So prayer is my favorite time of the day or night. We all need a, a time in the day that we set apart for prayer. Uh, so important. And why do we do that? Well, oh my gosh, probably if you were to stack up the books that talk about the fruits of prayer, the things that happen as a result of prayer, why we pray, why we talk about prayer, what happens when we do that. Um, you, couldn't, you couldn't see the, the, the top of the stack of books written about that. So what are some great examples? I, the, the, the one that I love in the, um, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is the prayer of Hannah, who prayed for a son. Right. That That's, is such an exciting story. Here's why, to me, women were in that culture downtrodden, not important. And the only sense of importance that you had is if you bore a son. She was heartbroken because she could bear no children, let alone a, a son. While the rest of the world looked down on women, while the rest of the world treated them as second class, God did not. That's a reoccurring theme in the Bible. And God heard her prayer and blessed her beyond her wildest imagination and gave her a son. That son was Samuel, one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. The prayer of a righteous man Results in much. much. Yeah, it does. Availeth right much. On. Thank you. Availeth much. Look what it availed Hannah. And, you know, she promised that if that prayer were answered, that she would uh, give this child to the Lord for the Lord's work. There's a wonderful story, by the way, 
that is very similar to that about Frederick Schwartz, who was a Prussian whose mother prayed the same prayer. Frederick Schwartz, his mother died young. Uh, he did not know his mother. Um, I suspected it was similar with uh, Samuel because very early Samuel was, was committed to the, to the temple and was being raised by the, uh, the priest in the temple, Eli. And we don't hear about Hannah uh, much after that. So here's Frederick Schwartz, likewise, who became one of the great evangelists to the country, the nation of India, and became, like Samuel, just an incredible prophet, prayer warrior, and evangelist. George Mueller is another huge uh, established orphanages all over the world and has the reputation for not conducting fundraising <laughs> to raise money for these um, orphanages. He relied on prayer. The, yeah, praying one night with his children that, that uh, they would be, there would be provision for food the next day because they had none. Um, and, and after their prayer, they hear a knock on the door and the, uh, the local bread delivery man said, I, 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 I've got all this bread I need to deliver. Can you use this? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, prayer, and prayer is working today just as dynamically. The results of prayer are so powerful for us, not just the uh, God, I'm praying that you intervene, but what it does to us. I was thinking about this week in yes. Christian history, way back in 1649 marks the death of Martin uh, Rinkart. He was a pastor who wrote a hymn that some still sing today, Now Think We All Are God. But he did it in the midst of the sufferings of the 30 years war there's other hymns that were written uh, during tragic events in the midst of it when people have nowhere to go but to god and find mm. that peace that that surpasses all understanding it doesn't make sense and then you hear the joy of the song of their heart birthed out of tremendous suffering. It is well with my soul yeah. written uh, after a, a, a tragic accident at sea where a ship went down. A family experiences the unthinkable, the loss of many of their children, but holding on to prayer and getting close to God is our salvation even in hard times. Michael Austin, Christian History Magazine. It is always a pleasure to get a little connected with history as we twitch, twitch, twitch. Oh, thank you, Michelle. I'm so excited about what you're doing. question, do we even have a prayer? 2020 feels, I don't know, maybe something like uh, what you've heard before on a Simpsons cartoon, a little bit like this. We're doomed! 
It's times like this I wish I were a religious man. It's all over, people. We don't have a prayer. What? We don't have a prayer. It can feel like that. I know. If we could take our eyes, though, off the surrounding doom, gloom, and being locked down in our rooms, you might realize that today marks the celebration of Hanukkah 2020. Now, if ever there were a time one time in history we could look back and we could see many when people might have said we don't have a prayer but the historical account of Hanukkah might be one of those times where they looked around and said oh boy did we Oh boy, did we. We're going to be talking about that, and we'll do it with A View from Jerusalem. And now, A View from Jerusalem with Rabbi Adlerstein. There's so much more to the story. Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein, he's a senior staff member, director of interfaith affairs at the Simon Wiesenthal Center. He writes, he speaks, and he is our friend. What a delight to share the celebration of Hanukkah the first day with you, Rabbi. Thank you, Michelle, and it's it's always a, a monthly pleasure to be able to have the conversation with you and uh, you know, listeners. And uh, before everybody uh, launches into uh, some uh, some anger at you, what is this to me? Happening? This is the most Christian radio station. What are we doing with Hanukkah? <laughs> let me let me just point out one one small thing that that Hanukkah in a sense, should be put on a pedestal by serious Christians, um, even, perhaps even more, I mean, certainly a greater number than, than, the, than, by, than by Jews, and certainly you swamp us a number. What I mean by that is, if you go back to the period of time in which the Hanukkah story took place, you had the Syrian Greek Empire that that had hegemony in the area, not just politically, Michelle, but, but they they were they were the thing. They were the cultural icons. They sneered at every other culture and said, We're clearly the superior people there. And they had very definite ideas about about the non-existence of a one God. They had definite ideas about, about what people should not do in their religions. And the only one they tolerated was their own, and it wasn't very much of a religion, just a bunch of fighting gods on Mount Olympus. And uh, they, they had, in essence, a secular religion. And the last holdout were some, not all by any means, but some of the Jews in this little area we now call Israel that was on the verge of becoming a vassal state of the, of the, the, the Greek empire and more importantly, Hellenic Greek culture and had these people not resisted and not taken up arms, not for political independence. Read my lips, even though you can't see them, friends. It was not about political independence. It was about the right to practice their faith. Had they not taken up arms and beaten back 
the, uh, the, the, the Syrian Greeks. It would have been the extinguishing of the idea of monotheism in the known world. And that means that 175 years later, roughly, there would not have been a Joseph and Mary around coming from a tradition of belief in a one God, and there would not have been Jesus, and there would not have been Christianity. It's as simple as that. Connect the dots, folks. Am I missing something? <laughs> I think it's a, a great celebration. I think you point out uh, that Historically, we've celebrated both the military victory over the Syrian Greeks back there in 164 BC. We've celebrated the miracle of the menorah the rest, at the restoration of the temple. But something else that you're bringing to mind is the is kind of the the joy and the answer to what we've been talking about today, do we have a prayer? And that is the bigger story, the God story. Because to me, it seems as though there, this miracle was the third part of this miracle. That a true, this, this uh, historical event tr played a bigger role in history, like a pawn piece, in my humble opinion, that made way or prepared, if you will, the way of Christianity. To me, it just says, God's awesome. He's in control. Exactly. And his, his reaction uh, to, the, to the, the upstart people who declared war on this huge empire is also is also intriguing. Uh, the miracle of the oil. Let me just remind people that what that is about is the the, the Greeks had the Syrian Greeks had defiled the temple, had turned it into a, a temple to to Zeus, and when when the good guys took control and tried cleaning up the place. The anybody who studied Leviticus knows that there are very, very many detailed laws about how that temple service is supposed to be conducted. And one of the issues was that the oil that is used daily in the lighting of the menorah, the candelabrum inside the, the temple, had to be ritually pure. And when they came into the temple, Everything had been spilled out. Everything had been defiled. They found one little container of oil with enough to go for one night. And they knew that the preparation of new oil um, that, could be, that could be technically used would take, them, would take them a week. And this one container of oil lasted for eight days instead of for, instead of for one day. And uh, if you have Jewish friends, you know, they, they always ask questions. Well, like it's a nice sword, but I don't get it. Why didn't they just use the oil and then use not so perfect oil? There actually is legal sanction for using defiled oil if nothing else is available. So one of the beautiful answers that I, that I recall from, I believe, the, the 18th or 17th century by Yoshua Falk, 
is that what God was showing is that if you guys are on my side, I'm going to reciprocate. Not only will I give you the, the, the military victory, and you're quite correct, Michelle, that that is definitely part of the celebration, but I'm going to show you my love for you, that I'm not going to ask you to, do, to make do with second best. I'm going to allow you to, to serve me in, in a way that your heart really wants to. You know, all, 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 all systems go. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to show you my love for you by allowing you to do this in the best possible way, to be able to take that one container of oil and for it to show its brilliance for, for, uh, for eight days instead of one. And what that did, Michelle, is if you think about it as a poet, and it's very difficult to study Bible without thinking like a poet, there, there, was, an, uh, there was an amount of oil. In an oil lamp, you have a container, you have oil, and you have a wick. They're all finite substances. If you know enough about the container, the volume of oil, and the wick, you can predict exactly how long it will, it will uh, give, give its light. And what God did is he turned finite stuff that contained the oil and the wick into something abstract, into light, into illumination. What God was hinting at was that in the next couple of centuries, which were not going to be easy ones, the last 200 years of the temple, God was going to create something for the Jewish people that would go on for the, for the next umpteen thousands of years until the final arrival of the Messiah. And, and in those last 200 years, which were fraught, they were terrible times. There was theoretically Jewish independence, but there were civil wars and then the Romans moved in and we were under their thumb. But there was a flowering of, of Torah study and Torah knowledge. And what that did is it allowed the Jewish people, after the destruction of the temple a couple hundred years from then, to take the abstraction of Torah and to be able to survive in exile to this day. When Jews did not have their land, they had an extraterritorial land, which was Torah, the practice of Torah, and the study of Torah. There's something so beautiful in that, not just for Jews, but for everyone who has faith in God, that when you think things are impossible, we don't have a prayer. You always can pray, and God has an answer. Often things you could never predict, and sometimes those answers don't become apparent for decades or even longer. But God is in control, and there are always things that we can do in partnership with him, and there always will be a solution because God has guaranteed it from day one.
It is the most encouraging and inspiring idea that before Christmas, a celebration takes place. Before the advent of Christmas, a miracle took place. And Rabbi, to me, something that has been very special about Hanukkah, and it has been a, a holiday it, that uh, is part of the holiday season, and even in our home growing up, that we would celebrate because of God's great miracle, the miracles that God does in our lives and through uh, his people and the people uh, that you, you, you can look around us and see the miraculous. And it's just another reminder, but something that I had had often pondered is in studying the Bible, the use of oil uh, some will say it had has a representation of God's spirit. And as you say, God did not have his people light uh, something that's second best. God doesn't want us to run after other gods or other things or second rate restoration or hope. When we say we've got a prayer, we have a prayer because there is a true, powerful, living God that is there at, waiting to commune with us and waiting to intervene in the lives of man. That's pretty powerful. No second-rate stuff here with, with the God of the universe. Absolutely. And uh, if, if I can throw in an, an, another thought, um the, uh, the the Jewish response to the the miracle of the uh, of the menorah very unpopular today to speak about miracles, but you and I still believe in them, <laughs> and thank God we crazy people here. I'm in. Still, yeah, <laughs> fundamentalist extremists uh, that we are. Um, if they had enough oil for one day, and it lasted eight. Well, by higher mathematics, I, I'm not sure everybody can follow this. Mathematics is not really my subject in uh, in my younger days. But eight minus one equals seven. So there were really only seven days of the miracle. Why do we celebrate it for ah, eight? You know, I've pondered that well, at times. And, you know, I, I wondered, is it, as I look at the world around us right now, is it a miracle that people could come together to agree on the lighting of anything? Because that would be a miracle today. Uh, I know that there are some that... I know that some have said that uh, it may have happened during the uh, Sabbat so that perhaps uh, the lamp needed to be lit before sundown. So it probably shouldn't even made it through one day. What, what say you, Rabbi? What I say is that there is the question that everybody asks within one hour of the beginning of Hanukkah when you're sitting with your children and your grandchildren. <laughs> there are collections of answers to this. One collection has 100 different answers to this question. Oh Without my. knowing it, I'm going to start calling you Rabbi Michelle. <laughs> you have you have offered two of them without <laughs> even realizing it. The, the first was one that, that, that was given in the late 16th century by 
the Maharal of Prague, who said, it's true, the miracle of the oil was seven, but what about the miracle of the military victory? So it's seven days for the oil and one day for the military victory. You suggested that earlier without even realizing it. But the other one, and I'm really uh, surprised that he came up with it that quickly, is one that became became popular just a few decades ago by one of the 20th century giants, Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, who said that the extra day is the miracle that after all that they had endured, meaning this war, this victory was not an easy one. There were lots of casualties. There were communities that for years literally lived in tunnels underground. I've been to some of those tunnels. Uh, It's not for people who get claustrophobia. For years, the tribe to evade the Romans, uh, the, 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 the Greeks, and, and sometimes when the Greeks discovered them, they lit fires at both ends of the tunnels mm. so that everybody inside would be suffocated. I've seen those too. After all that they endured, for one of the first things that they did when they came back to the temple was said, maybe we can find one little bit, one remnant of oil that people would even think of searching for that, that that would be on their list of priorities, not their bucket list, not something to be done a day or two from now when we get things in order. But one of the first things they attended to was, we have a temple, God wants our service. Let's see if we can do it the right way. That they would not have given up the hope and the focus and looked for it is equally miraculous. And why do we need some of that spirit today? Yes, we do. At a time where when all things are seem to be falling apart, and we ask that question, do we have a prayer? It seems as though in that time, that wasn't even on their mind. That was all they had was a prayer. And that's not uh, settling for second best. That is mm-hmm. always our first recourse. If we truly believe that God is is in charge of everything, not just an office you can knock on the door of when you need something desperately, but that he is the one who gives us every breath, every moment of life. When we feel that intensely, there's no settling for prayer. Prayer is everything. And and one one more thing to to recognize at times like this, because I, I never addressed it when you, you, you posed that challenge right at the beginning. Remember the, the passage about uh, uh, David and Jonathan, both, I guess, relatively young people, and Saul was very angry at David. He thought that he was an upstart trying to take the throne away, and David and Jonathan were the best of friends, and Saul got so angry that Jonathan, that David thought that maybe he's out, he's he's out to get him, and 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 indeed he was. But they needed a way of communicating, and it happened to be that both of their cell phones weren't working that day. <laughs> so the last time that they, the next to the last time they met, they said, "Listen, this is what's going to happen. When you get word, go out to this field and uh, and make." Uh, act as if you're practicing your archery. I'll be hiding there in the field and you're going to shoot 
and you're going to overshoot your assistant who's meant to retrieve the, the arrows. This is before they invented golf. Otherwise, they would have been playing golf for sure. <laughs> so if, 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 if it lands closer to, to, to you than, than, than your, your caddy, then I'll know it's safe to come in. And if you overshoot, then it'll be a signal, said Jonathan to, uh, to David, then flee, go, run, because God has sent you. What do you mean flee because God has sent you? Flee because if you don't, they're going to come after you and kill you. Or flee to try to preserve yourself or try to salvage something. The idea being that when you get word of such a severe setback, your life is going to change. The king thinks that you're rebelling against the throne and will send innumerable troops out to kill you. And there's no solution to that. You know what that means? Go because God has sent you. There must be a mission in this. There's a purpose to this. It doesn't feel good. It's not what we have wanted, but we don't call the shots. But whenever things look really gloomy, when it looks like you know, religion is not going to do so well in America in the next years and could be even in the next months. It just, it, it means, no, you don't, you, you don't hunker down and, and, and uh, close the hatches. It means that God has a mission for us. Somehow there is a different job for us in the next months and years than there was in the last group of years. We have to be smart enough and prayerful enough to figure out what it is. But it's not gloom and doom. It means that there's a mission, and God wants something of us, and God expects something of us, and, and, and he'll certainly be happy when we, we step up to the plate and offer him what he's looking for, and it will be our salvation as well. And maybe it's time for us to light that candle and to recognize who our God is, to get back to the altar and to get back to basics. I'm all for that. And what a time of the year to do that. We've been talking with our beloved rabbi, Yitzhak Adlerstein. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for having me. This song is sung by Taryn Wells. People hurting, people broken, beating down and feeling hopeless. Wonder if it's gonna always be this way. Who will speak up for the captive? Show some love and heal a past that binds the wounds we think will never go away. But what if we could be a people on our knees as one before the king? Cause we believe. When the church starts Horizon. I see hope on the horizon as a generation stepping out of faith.
You've been listening to News and Views. Check out more at MyMichelleLive.com. Oh, 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 o